Welcome to Encouraging Truths for Today. We're glad to bring you this message from First Baptist Church in Crockett, Texas. Now please join us as we learn to grow deeper in our relationship with God and each other. And so today I want us to focus on providing for each other a prayer covering for spiritual combat, a prayer covering for spiritual combat. So let me begin by just asking you a question. For whom are you praying? Do you have people in your life that you pray for on a daily basis? Uh, Do you have others that you pray for as the Lord brings them to mind? Do you have a prayer partner, perhaps, that both of you are praying for each other, or you pray for uh, the church or different people within the church? For whom are you praying? Then the second question is, when you pray, what are you praying? That's the key. So today, I want us to fine-tune our focus on what it means to pray for one another in the context of spiritual battle and to provide a, a prayer covering in the midst of the spiritual combat that we face. And so let's look together at Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to begin reading in verse 18 as we continue to slowly move phrase by phrase through this verse. Context is you are suited up in spiritual armor, ready for battle, verses 10 through 17. You've taken up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And it says in verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would renew our passion for you today, that you would take that passion to a new level. I also pray that you would ignite within us a deeper compassion for each other. Father, it's so easy for us to focus on ourselves and to spend so much time praying for ourselves and our needs. But Father, I pray that you would broaden our perspective today and that you would give us insight on how to pray for fellow believers in the midst of spiritual combat. And Father, we thank you the victory has been won. We thank you for the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives who equips us for every spiritual battle that we face. And so, Father, we pray today that by your Holy Spirit, you would speak to us from your word, because unless you speak, I have nothing at all to say. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I think it's very crucial for us as believers in Christ to develop a prayer life 
and a life of prayer that is strategic in its focus. Not just a, a broad throwing out of prayers that, that are not anchored to a promise in Scripture, that are not focused on a specific individual in a need or a, a group of people. It's, it's very important for us to allow the Holy Spirit to guide us toward a more st- a strategic approach in our life of prayer. So I want us to think about that phrase at the end of this verse, supplication for all the saints. Now that picks up the beginning of that verse, praying always, and then there are those descriptive words about how we are to pray always. But if we remove those other descriptive words and just move from praying always with supplication for all the saints. That's where I want us to put our focus today. So the first thing I notice when I think about supplication or praying and making requests for fellow believers is the intensity of the battle demands intercession for each other. The intensity of the battle demands intercession for each other. Intercession is another word that could be very compatible with the word supplication. Uh, The word supplication Uh, simply means a seeking or asking. In the context here, it's seeking and asking on behalf of another person. We call that intercession or intercessory prayer. Supplication in a personal sense is me seeking or asking God for something on my own behalf. But to practice supplication for others is to intercede knowing the need that is here and the provision that God has and pleading with him to bring his provision into that need or his intervention into those circumstances. And so that would be the heart of what this passage is talking about. So I want to ask you a question. I'm asking myself this question as well. If someone overheard your prayers for fellow believers here in the church, would they have any idea that you were involved in spiritual warfare? Just think about that question. If someone overheard your prayers for fellow believers within the church, would they have any idea that you're involved in spiritual warfare. That cuts to the heart of how we should pray, doesn't it? Too many times we pray prayers on the surface that focus on physical needs that are very real and very demanding in our lives. But that's not the greatest need. Beneath every physical need, there is a deeper spiritual need. Satan longs to use those physical issues or those relational issues in our lives to bring about some devastating things in our hearts like despair and depression and discouragement, a turning away from Christ, etc. And so if we simply pray on the surface, we are not focusing our prayer on the heart 
of the spiritual matter at hand. And so based upon the example of the Apostle Paul that we'll look at in a few moments, uh, we need to take a close look at what we are praying when we are praying for fellow believers because we must have a strategic spiritual focus if we really believe that we are in a spiritual battle. Have you not found many times people for whom you were praying for their physical needs, etc., were taken captive by the enemy in their minds and in their hearts, and you were praying for a physical need and were completely blinded to that spiritual issue that was driving them away from the Lord. So it's a crying out to God for a specific matter and imploring God to bring his aid into a person's life. And so the intensity of the spiritual battle demands intercession for each other. We need the prayers of each other. Nobody in this room can live effectively apart from prayer support. That's how we link our arms and our hearts together and we move through the battle. We are together in this and we need each other. We were not designed to live alone. The moment you came into the kingdom of God as his child, you became a brother or sister in Christ with the fellowship in which you worship and the body of Christ as a whole. And it's in that context we find great strength by praying for one another. And so he uses there in verse 18 the word saints. Supplication for all the saints. Now, we have misused that word in many ways. Have you not referred to an elderly person? Now, that person is a real saint. What we typically mean by that, that that's a position somewhere between a human and an angelic being. They're just right there. They're, they're a saint. Well, the reality is that's a false perception. A saint is a, a word that simply means a set-apart one, someone that is set apart by God. For instance, as we began the, the message, it's a person that God has taken from being a child of darkness to being a child of light, a person who was lost, but he took them from that and has save them. A person who was uh, headed toward destruction, and he's giving them life now. The, the picture is, is a broad picture of anyone who is a part of the body of Christ that God has set apart as his child in this world to live behind enemy lines to bring him glory. So the reality is, if you look around the room, everybody in the room that belongs to Christ is a saint. That word is so important in this letter that, that Paul uses the word saint as God inspired him to write this letter to the Ephesians 
That word saint appears in every chapter in this letter. All six chapters contain that word saint. It even begins with that being its focus. The first verse says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, an apostle would be a sent one to the set-apart ones or the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. So anytime you see the word saint in the New Testament, and especially in this letter, it's, it's referring to an individual believer or a group of believers that God has set apart. So just think about the context of those simple words in Ephesians chapter 6. We have been set apart together. We are not of this world. We are of the kingdom of Christ, living behind enemy lines, daily under attack by the enemy and his evil forces, daily fighting our flesh, society, and Satan. We are in the the heat of the battle, and we desperately need to be praying for all the saints and interceding and pleading with God to do something powerful and significant in our lives together. But just think about how we pray for the saints at times. Uh, We pray that they'll get well so they won't go to heaven. We should be praying for people even more passionately than that. We should be praying for people that are headed to hell that they won't go to hell. But sometimes we have this awkward perspective of trying to pray people out of heaven and forgetting that there is a real hell that people are going to that will be eternally separated from God. That's the intensity of the battle. Or we pray about our Sunday gatherings. I hope you do that. I pray and plead with God that we will encounter the person of the Holy Spirit every time we gather to worship. I I pray with our staff even that people will sense the presence of God when they enter this campus, and many testimonies have been given that that has been the case. I love that fact, but the reality is we ought to be praying as much and more so for the church when it scatters from this place than when it gathers in this place. This is where we come to get orders and directions from the Lord to go back into the battle. And and really, the battle of prayer begins when we walk out these doors and we desperately need the prayers of each other. That's why it's important for us to be texting other people and letting them know that God put them on your heart and you've been praying for them and, and telling them how you've been praying for them and encouraging them, not preaching to them, but just saying, I'm praying that God will do this in your life and that in your life in your current circumstances. Do you see how that strengthens the body of Christ? And then when we gather to pray and we're together, I mean to worship, then we're here together where we can pray together and encourage one another. That's all wrapped up in that simple phrase, praying for all the saints. That word all could mean all individually or all together. Which one is most important? They're both very important. 
You see, in just a few moments, we're going to close the service. But the reality is, when, when we leave the doors of this building, we are an army entering back into the battlefield. Some of us will be isolated. Some of us will be in a group of people, whatever it might be in our lives. And we, we need each other, and we need that prayer covering for spiritual combat. The intensity of the battle demands intercession for each other. And you might say, well, I'm not that significant. I, I don't pray real well. I don't know a lot. Well, let me read a quote by Charles Spurgeon. It really puts that in perspective. He refers to intercessory prayer. Again, that's praying for someone else, interceding with God for them. Intercessory prayer is a very important part of the work of Christians for one another. We are not sent into the world to live unto ourselves, but we are members of one body, and each member is expected to contribute to the health and the comfort of the whole. It is true we cannot all preach, but we can all pray. We cannot all distribute to the needy from our substance, but we can all offer prayer from our hearts. In temporal things, we may not be able to enrich the church for lack of substance, but if we fail to bless the church by our prayers, it will be for lack of grace. So if you want to be a blessing to your fellow believers, Give yourself to praying always for all the saints. So today, we're just taking that view of the local church. Next week, we'll, we'll look at all the saints in all of the world. But just think about how you can contribute. You see, it would be foolish for us to say as a church, well, we're a small church, we can't contribute anything beyond these doors, we can contribute a lot. Even the, the small amount compared to mega churches that, that we might give toward missions can be blessed by God and used to do great things. This small group of people could be used for God's glory in, in such an amazing way in this community and, and extend that influence even beyond this place. And and we would all say, yes, that's probably true. Well, let me ask you a question. Is it true of every believer in this church? Could you have that type of influence? Yes. Give yourself to prayer. Pray for the church as a whole, not just our gathering, but in our scattering into the world. Lift one another up. Intercession is an eternal investment that pays great dividends eternally. Well, secondly, our intercession for each other should be intentional and spiritual. What do I mean by that? Well, he's talking in the context here of a spiritual battle. Being involved in each other's lives and knowing a little bit of what's going on we should be very intentional about praying for each other. 
There are times where the battle is stronger in this person's life than it seems to be in this person's life, or maybe in my own life, and, and we put our prayer focus there in that spiritual battle. And then it, it hits another place, and we rally there, and, and we pray intentionally and strategically. Now, I've shared this before, but you know what the number one lie told in the Baptist church is? I'll be praying for you. Why is that so easy to say and so hard to do? Well, it's so easy on Sunday when you're confronted by a need in someone's life to say, well, I'll be praying for you. And then you, you walk out the door. You begin to have conversations about lunch and about life. You get busy with your daily routine. You come back to church the next Sunday having never thought again about that person. And have you ever had the experience where they come back to you and say, thank you so much for praying for me. I could really feel your prayers. And you couldn't even remember what they asked you to pray about. We've got to be intentional to pray for all the saints. One way we do that is if all of us pray for somebody, then everybody's praying for everybody. It can't be delegated to just one person or a, a handful of people. So, so here's a key that I've found in my life, and many of you practice this, uh, not just because you've told me, I've watched you and you've exercised this on me. When a prayer request is shared, if at all possible, stop right then and pray with that person. Pray a focused, specific prayer for that specific need. That way, you have begun the process of praying for and with that person. I don't care if it's at Walmart. I don't care if it's on the square, wherever you might be. If someone has a prayer need and they're asking you to pray, if they've asked you to pray, then it shouldn't embarrass them for you to do so with them right then, if it's at all possible. Now, if somebody's uh, a clerk checking us out at the uh, cash register and they ask for our prayers, I might say, well, I will be praying this for you because I know it might be inappropriate and uh, not, it might even jeopardize their job if they're caught having a little worship service over there, uh, over the cash register. But there might even be times that might be appropriate. I don't know. But if at all possible, stop and pray for that person. Then, because of technology, uh, we have a wonderful tool to just let them know, I am continuing to pray this for you in your life. If there's another way I can be praying this week, let me know. And you build a bridge and a relationship by doing that. You can also do it by sending a card um, and, and putting a stamp on it. That's becoming kind of an, a lost art, but haven't you found if you get a prayer card, you never just read it once and you never throw it away? You keep that because somebody took the time to pray for you and then they'll write you and let you know. There's so many ways we can communicate that. But the key is, if you tell someone you're going to pray for them, intentionally follow through with that. Now, let me tell you the second 
most popular line now that I've surfaced that one again. I'll be thinking about you. Uh, that takes the edge off of it. And the reality is you need to pray for them. And you need to go ahead and commit, just don't make it a lie. So our intercession for each other should be intentional and spiritual. Now, here's where I want to dig into the Apostle Paul's example here in the letter at, of, of, to the church at Ephesus. His prayer was not shallow for them, and it wasn't just situational. Much of our praying for each other can quickly fall into those categories of being shallow and on the surface, but not just that, but only focused on situations and special things going on rather than a spiritual focus in that person's life. Too often, we fall into that trap. So here's another evaluation we can make. When we think about an intentional and spiritual life of intercessory prayer, this is a great question. Does most of your praying for the church focus on circumstantial concerns, physical needs, and congregational events? Does it focus on these three things? Circumstantial concerns like replacing the, the roof when we were doing that, or when we uh, were looking for a worship leader, praying about that. Those are circumstantial concerns that could have spiritual connotations to them, but many times we stay right there. Physical needs or congregational events. I hope you pray about congregational events. I'm not saying don't pray about that, but don't just pray it'll be a great event. Begin to pray strategically about how that could do something in someone's life. So here's Paul's example. If you turn to Ephesians chapter 1, twice in this letter, in the six chapters, he pauses from his instruction and begins to talk to them about how he is praying for them. It's not generic. It's not just focused on physical needs or situational needs, but it's focused on spiritual needs in their lives. Notice in verse 15, therefore, I also, after I heard your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Now, here's the key. They had love for all the saints. And he saw that. Later, he's going to encourage them, pray for all the saints. He was saying, take that love and apply it in prayer. But then he says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Well, he could have just gone on at that point, but God is inspiring him to invest more in their lives and so not only does he tell them that he's been praying for them, he begins to tell them what he's been praying for them. This is where the real power of relationship happens. He says in verse 17, I'm praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation 
in the knowledge of Him, Jesus Christ, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. And Father, that would be our prayer this morning for our church, even as we worship and as we go out, that you would give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation that we might have a greater knowledge of Christ and that you would open the eyes of our understanding and enlighten us by your Holy Spirit. Then there's the second request. That you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. So he prays that they will know the hope of their calling, the greatness of his power, the riches of the glory of his inheritance. Do you hear the spiritual tone of that? He's saying, I pray that you would give them hope because God has called them. I'm praying that they will understand that they are rich, not in this world, but in spiritual reality. I'm praying that you would manifest your power in their lives, which he worked, he says, in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. He wasn't just praying that God would kind of help him have a better day, give him a little bit of strength. He was saying, I pray you would infuse them with the very power that raised Jesus from the dead and then took him back into heaven. Now, that's real power, isn't it? And that's our need. I don't just need a, a fresh breath of air sometimes. I need that resurrection power to lift me up and to give me hope and understanding and wisdom in my life. You see the spiritual nature of how he prayed, and twice he's used that phrase, all saints, all the saints. He, his whole focus is on us as a team, as a group, being what God wants us to be. If we're there in Ephesus or now, it applies to us. The focus is here that we would pray prayers that are intentional and spiritual for one another. Now, that takes an investment, doesn't it? It doesn't take much investment to say, Lord, bless them and bless them real good. If you're going to get down to it, you know, I'm praying for, for people in this church very consistently that live alone or are single parents or widows or widowers, that God will remind them daily of the constant companionship of the Holy Spirit, that they might be encouraged and strengthened, and that that time in his presence might be a blessing in their lives. I'm praying for parents as they nurture their children in the things of God. I'm not praying that they'll meet all the deadlines and get all the kids to the right activities at the right times. That's not my concern. That's their concern. My concern is that they nurture them in the things of God, and even amidst all of those activities that somehow God gives them opportunities to have spiritual conversations about biblical truths in the lives of their children, etc. Do you see the difference in that type of praying and just praying, help them be a good witness wherever they go? Well, there's a lot that needs to happen in order for them to be a good witness, and it has to be prayed intentionally and spiritually. 
And so that's all I'm saying. I'm just using a personal example. I don't get it all right all the time. But I'm just saying that's how Paul prayed. Then if you look at Ephesians chapter 3, he, he talks again about how he's praying and investing in the life of this congregation. He says in verse 14 of chapter 3, for this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. When he talks about I bow my knees, he's talking about I get before God in prayer. And he says, and I'm talking to the one, in verse 15, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. I go to the head of the family, and that's the person of Christ. And then you see the word that again in this prayer, as you found in chapter 1, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. You see, today, if you're physically exhausted, that's not your biggest problem. When you become physically exhausted, you become spiritually vulnerable. And so he's praying that they would be strengthened with might through the Holy Spirit in the inner man. Now, is there anybody in the room that doesn't need somebody to pray that for them this week? I need to have the power of God in my life strengthening my inner man that I might be strong in the circumstances I'm going to face. I think all of us would say, pray it for me. Then the second prayer focus, verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. The third one, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. What if we prayed for each other this way this week? No matter what situation they find themselves in where they are rejected and despised, I pray that you would turn their hearts quickly to your love for them that is unconditional and never changes. See the spiritual nature of that praying? And all you're doing is praying from the example of the Apostle Paul. And then he goes into a crescendo there at the end, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we could ever ask or think, to him be glory forever and ever in the church through all ages, world without end. Amen. And so Paul, even though he's praying intentional and spiritual prayers, he said, and I know God can do much more than what I have ever asked him to do in your life, but this is what I'm doing. I'm asking with my finite mind for God to do this, but I know he can do more than I could even begin to think and ask. But let's go a step higher than the Apostle Paul. If Jesus was praying for this church, for all the saints, what would he pray? You might say, well, how can we know? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. Let's look at John chapter 17. 
John chapter 17, Jesus is praying for his followers, those immediately gathered around him, the apostles that he had chosen under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. He chose them to be with him and to be sent out to preach. This is the night before he's crucified, a strategic, intentional, spiritual prayer. He's praying for them. But then he says, In verse 20, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who believe in me through their word. If you have a biblical trust in Christ based upon the word of God, that puts you in that category, doesn't it? We believed because of their word. And so, if you are in Christ and Christ through this personal Holy Spirit is in you, then then this prayer applies to you from the heart, mind, and lips of Jesus. And look at the words that, the intentional praying here, that they may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And Father, we pause at this moment to ask you for forgiveness in our own lives, in our church, and for forgiveness in other churches where we have not been one, and others have not believed that you sent Christ because of our disunity. It's our prayer that by our unity and our oneness, people would believe that the Father, you, the Father, have sent your Son as the Savior of the world. So that's the way Jesus was praying. Then he says in verse 22, And the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one as we are one. I and them, you and me, that they might be perfect in one, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me." And not only do you find the word that repeatedly, but you find the word one. Jesus repeatedly prayed for all the saints that would come to him based upon his sacrificial death on the cross and the power of his resurrection, trusting him as Lord and Savior. He prayed for all the saints that they would be one. That doesn't mean uniformity. That means unity. We don't all have to look alike, think alike, act alike. When we pray for unity within the body of Christ, that doesn't mean for us to pray that everybody else to get it right and come our direction. That doesn't mean they pray that we get it right and come their direction. That's uniformity. Unity is we are all passionately in love and devoted to the person of Christ, and we are so devoted to Him together that we are devoted to each other, and they see that devotion outside the church, and they say, man, these people get along. They love each other. They care for each other. They minister for each other. That's got to be God because people can't do that, and they believe that God the Father sent Jesus. If we want to reach our world, we got to become brothers and sisters on a heart level of unity and oneness, and the way that's developed is by praying as Jesus would pray. Well, thirdly and finally, when I say finally, I mean it's toward the end of the sermon, 
And when you hear that, you're thinking, finally, well, it's all in the inflection, isn't it? Our intercession for each other should be perpetual and continual. There's never a good time to stop praying for each other. We looked at it this way a moment ago, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, supplication for all the saints. It's got to be perpetual and continual. We never stop. Why? Because we are involved in a spiritual battle. Just look at verses 10 through 13. If you look at verses 10 through 13 and you apply it to every person's life, let me paraphrase a little bit here. Tomorrow morning, you need to be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. You have to put on the whole armor of God or you won't stand against the schemes of the devil. Because you and I know we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places Therefore, we must take up the whole armor of God if we're going to withstand and be able to be left standing when the day is done. If we apply it personally like that, I don't stand a chance apart from Christ. I don't have any defense apart from the armor of God. I don't, I don't have any hope apart from the power of the Holy Spirit, that resurrection power in me and the sword of the Spirit in my hand. I have no hope apart from God. And if we began to pray for each other in that sense that we are under siege, we are trying to take captive those for the gospel that Satan is taking captive, he never takes that lightly. If we prayed with that sense of urgency, and that sense of focus, we would have a whole new life of prayer about us, wouldn't we? Because we would pray perpetually and continually for each other, knowing that any one of us could fall any day this week with just one failure of being prepared for the battle. We're invading enemy territory. Here's what William Gurnall says. Satan's great spite is against the saints. God owns them. Therefore, Satan hates them and spits fire and fury at them. Where God is on one side, you may be sure to find the devil on the other side. Indeed, saints are the only company that stand in his way. The victory of the saints is a warning sign of his defeat. This makes Satan unleash all his force by temptation or persecution to obtain their ruin. These saints are the stars he longs to stomp under his feet. That's a pretty sobering thought, isn't it? And we get that from the text, too, as well, don't we? 
That's why we need to be interceding for all the saints. The moment you think someone doesn't need your prayer, you have removed a prayer covering of support and focus in their lives that could be very, very detrimental. So here we are behind enemy lines seeking to set spiritual captives free. Every one of us as believers should be focused on invading Satan's territory, seeking to see those who are spiritually dead made alive in Christ. And the greatest blessing is found in this most heated battle. And we enter the battle on our knees. That's why after all the armor is described, all the command is given, he turns and says, praying always. Without that vital connection with God, it's just armor. But with a vital connection with God, he can use that armor to protect you, to guard you, to guide you. He can use that sword to cut away arguments and uh, confusion in your life. But you got to be in touch with the headquarters of heaven through the person of the Holy Spirit, praying always, not just for yourself, but for all the saints, all the saints. Let's pray together. We would like to thank you for joining us for this message from First Baptist Church in Crockett, Texas. First Baptist desires to be a house of prayer with a heart for people, making a difference by making disciples from our neighborhood to the nations. If you would like more information about this ministry, please visit www.firstcrockett.org. Until next time, May God's blessings be upon you.